The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well. I'm excited for this morning. Um, because we get this privilege, as we do every summer, of stepping into the Psalms. So if you haven't been with us in the, in the summers before, uh, we have a rhythm here that I, I have grown, we have grown to love so much. Um, every summer, we spend several weeks together uh, in the Psalms. And, and before we get to our Psalm this morning, um, I want to just uh, put out a few a few quick things just to kind of set the foundation for where we're headed in our time in the Psalms. Um, the, the, the first thing that I want to, I want to bring out here is that the Psalms are a collection of, of songs, of poetry, of, of prayers, and, and they have been used by the people of God, by the church. They have been used in worship and in prayer for centuries and centuries and centuries. What this means is that the Psalms have been an instrument or a tool, not only to hear from God's word, which is absolutely true, not only to hear from God through his word, again, absolutely true, but along with that, the Psalms have also been this instrument, this tool that the people of God have used uh, for centuries to express ourselves to our God. And because of this, if you think about this, it's not good enough, right, for us to just study this text, to parse the verbs, to dive into the intricacies of Hebrew words or historical context or background. All of that stuff is good. But hear me, it's not enough because the call of the Psalms is for us to enter in, to enter in the text, to hear from our God, to know him and to express ourselves to him. The Psalms are in that way, kind of like a sacred dialogue that we now get the great joy and privilege of of, of stepping into. That's the first thing. Uh, The second thing is that we just need to realize how diverse and how rich the Psalms are. Uh, they touch on the full spectrum of human emotions, from, from anger to gladness, from fear to boldness, Uh, From sadness to joy, from praise to lament. Church, it is all here. And here's the thing. There is nothing new under the sun. What this means is that no matter what you are facing, from from the highest of highs to the depths of anxiety or depression, wherever you are, you are not alone. There is a great chance um, that you will read a psalm as we go through this, that you're going to engage in a psalm, and, and there's a good chance that it will stop you in your tracks. It'll stop you, and you'll, you'll find yourself saying, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, that, that is me. This is, this is what I have been praying. These are the words of my heart that are revealed on this page in front of me. 
And then from there, you can realize and you can see how God, how he meets us right where we are. See, we see ourselves in these Psalms. And most importantly, we see our God in these Psalms engaging with us through the full spectrum of the human experience and human emotion and showing us that our God is the sovereign God over the full spectrum of human experience and emotions. I love the Psalms. Love it. I want to say one last thing here uh, before we get to our psalm, which is going to be Psalm 4. Um, last thing here, uh, just for some groundwork, is that the psalms remind me that my God is alive. And uh, as C.S. Lewis points out, he's not safe, meaning he's not under my control. And here's what I mean by that. If my God is just a subject that I study, then I can engage with him on my own terms and I can kind of keep him at a safe distance and I can study him and learn things about him when I'm feeling in the mood for it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like studying Spanish right? Sometimes I'm in the mood to study Spanish and other times I am not. Now here's the thing. When my God is, is like studying Spanish to me, then, then really I am in the driver's seat and I engage on my terms. But the Psalms, they remind me That my God is not a subject to be studied, but a real and living God. Not a subject to be studied, but our God to be worshipped. Not to just be learned about, but to truly know, to be in relationship with, to follow, and to obey. And most of all, most of all, we got to realize that that you and I, we are not students just studying a subject, but we are in Christ. You are a loved child of God in a real and loving relationship with our real and living and wonderful God. And so I'm excited for our time in the Psalms together. And, and this morning, we start into our summer in the Psalms by looking at Psalm 4. And, and let's just start our time together by reading this beautiful Psalm. Psalm 4, eight verses. The Psalm says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I lie, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we give you this time 
Would you use it for your glory? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts to hear from you? We give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me... um. Let me paint a picture for us this morning. So this psalm is a psalm from King David, and it came from a particularly difficult time in King David's life. Uh, I won't spend too much time in all of these details, but this story is just absolutely incredible. Um, we know David, he, he was king. He was God's anointed king. God had established him, promised him the kingdom. God had been with him, blessed him, gone before him. Um, he was his anointed king. Now, was David perfect? No, no, he was not. But here's the thing. God, David was God's man. And um, he was a man after God's own heart, a man that God had ordained and anointed as king over Israel. And, and again, let me, let me just bring this out um, here. At this particular time, things were in general going well for Israel. God was blessing them right? Well, in 2 Samuel 15, from that, in that, um, we read of a very difficult time in David's life. See, David had many kids, and one of his sons was named Absalom. And um, Absalom was a gifted and a good-looking dude, uh, and David loved his son Absalom. And yet, in 2 Samuel um, 15, we read about Absalom's plan, his conspiracy, against his own dad. See, what he would do is he would go to the, the people of the city. Um, he would go at the gate of the kingdom and little by little by little, he would stir up distrust and disunity. Second Samuel 15 verse two says, and Absalom used to, he, he would rise up early in the morning and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man who had a dispute uh, to come before the king for judgment, um, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And, and when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, verse three says that Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then uh, uh, verse four said that Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. In other words, what Absalom was doing is he was going to the people and he was telling the people what they wanted to hear and, and what he was trying to do was to stoke division into their own, into their hearts and then he would position himself and swoop in um, as their as their savior, a better alternative. If I were king, in other words, I would take care of you. See, David, he doesn't care for you the way that I would, right? That's what he was doing. And so Absalom's plan here was actually, it was clear and simple. What he was trying to do was to, to create distrust and destroy loyalty to David so that he can begin to build people who were loyal to him over his father. In other words, this was a plan, church, for Absalom to take away the kingdom from his dad. And here's the thing. It was working really well. 
the people believed him. They believed Absalom and they were following after him and they were willing to follow after him so much so that David here has to flee for his own life. Just take that in. Like David is the reigning king, God's anointed, and here he is fleeing. I mean, this is a dark moment for David. His kingdom is uncertain. The people that he loves and leads now believe lies about him and they want him out. He is fleeing from his own kingdom, his own house, from his own people, and so much worse, from his own, his very own son. This was a dark moment in David's life and in David's reign. In church, it was in this dark moment that David penned the words of this psalm, Psalm 4. It was in this moment when, in, when he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He cries out, Answer me. I don't have solutions, God. I need you. Answer me. Listen, for anyone who has ever been in a difficult moment or a season, anyone who has ever been in a place where you don't have all the answers, you don't have the solutions, when things aren't the way they should be and you don't know how it's going to end, for anyone who has ever been there, for anyone who can relate to that, chances are you can also relate to David's cry in this psalm. God, oh my God. Answer me, please. Would you hear me, please? Chances are many of you also can relate to what David says in that second line when he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Notice that's past tense. What is David doing? He's drawing back on previous experiences. He's thinking back to when God heard him in the past. He's thinking back to the relief that God had given him in previous moments of his distress. And he's drawing back on that. He says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. That's past tense. And then from that, drawing back on that, he says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You've been faithful. You've shown up in my life and God, would you do it again? That's what David's crying out for. See, one of the greatest gifts of a life with Jesus, um, walking with Jesus, one of the greatest gifts is is the ability um, that we have to draw back on previous faithfulness, the previous faithfulness of God, to look back and to draw back on his goodness and his faithfulness to us in the past, to strengthen our faith in what we are facing today by, by remembering his faithfulness yesterday. And for for many of you, you have those moments of God's faithfulness that you draw back on. Here, David is drawing his focus, his attention back to God's faithfulness, back to his character, back back to who God is as he is calling out to God to hear him, right? He's drawing back. And for those of you who haven't followed Jesus for long, this is the, the, one of the most beautiful things about the word of God that we have. It's that we get to look back on the, God's faithfulness to his people for, from generations to generations to generations. So we look back as David does. And then in the second verse of the psalm, David now addresses the men 
Now, he's not explicit with who these men are by name, but from context, church, it's pretty clear who these men are. Verse 2 says, O men, how, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And then listen to this. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? See, this describes all those men who were at the gate, all those men who were hearing Absalom, all those men who were being misled, all those men who were being stirred up against David because of Absalom. And what David is saying here in Psalm um, 4 verse 2 is, how long, guys, are you going to buy this? How long are you going to listen to these vain words, these lies? How long will my honor, the honor given to me, me by God, how long will it be trampled on by you, turned into shame because of all these lies? How long, O men, will you believe this? And I don't want you to miss this because right after he asked that question, you see this five-letter word in your your Bibles. It's the word Selah. Selah. This is a word that signifies something to us as readers. It signifies to us that this is a moment that we need to take a breath and to reflect and to sit on and sit with this a little bit, right? It's to sit, it's to breathe, it's to take it in, Selah. And so what David says is, how long will you love vain words and how long will you seek after lies? Selah. Don't miss the Selah here. David is sitting in the pain here. He is pausing in. He is pausing with his pain. Just as we so often will sit in our pain. This sailor reminds me of all of the moments in my prayers that I have cried out to God, presented him with this situation that I am facing. And yet there is no, you know, immediate change. Instead, I present it to my God, I bring my questions to him, and I sailor. I just hold the broken situation up to the Lord, knowing that he is here and knowing that he is present with me. And I sit in that. That's our sailor moment, and it's so relatable here in the psalm. David cries out to God. And then sits, Selah's. Then from this Selah moment, um, David turns a corner in verse 3. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, there is, there is power in Selah moments before God. Because out of that moment of stillness before God, it, David remembers who God is and remembers who he is. He says, I am set apart. I am set apart, anointed, ordained by God himself. I am set apart for my God, to my God. And I know that my God hears me when I call. I love this. Love this statement he makes. And then as we turn to verse four, we have this. He says, be angry and do not sin. (laughs) Ponder in your own hearts, on your own beds, and be and be silent. This is very similar to Paul's New Testament command in Ephesians 4, uh, 26, when he says, Be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down in your anger. 
Many of you know that verse, right? Well, this is the same command here. There will be moments in your life when things are going to happen to you and they are going to cause you to get angry, right? Now, sometimes this anger is going to be justified. Other times it is not. Sometimes you might have some righteous anger burning in your bones. And sometimes it is a foolish anger that burns in your bones. At times you might be in the right. And at other times you might be in the wrong. But here's the reality. Part of being a human is anger. Dealing with feelings of anger. That you will face anger in this life. See, for David... In, um, in his life and in this story, I believe David had every right to be angry. Every right. Now, for the men at the gate, they felt angry. And I would say they, they did not have the right. I mean, they were, they were being um, stirred up because of lies and slander and all of that. Uh, but here's the, re- here's the reality. Regardless of where the anger came from, There was an anger here, and yet the command is be angry and do not sin. And this reminds us of something. Church, you cannot control whether or not you are going to experience anger today, tomorrow, this week. (laughs) You can ultimately only control your response to it when it begins to show up in your heart and in your mind. You can can only really control your actions that come out of, come from that anger. It says, be angry, the text says, because this is a part of being a human in a fallen world. Be angry and do not sin. In other words, do not let your response and your actions lead to sin, whether or not your anger, anger is justified. Be angry and do not sin. See, church, even righteous anger does not justify sin, sinful actions. Be angry. Do not sin. And then from here, David offers some really good counsel. He says, ponder in your own hearts, in your own beds, and be silent. How practical and relatable is that, church? And it reminds me of all of those times when when something in my life um, gets me gets me angry. I get mad, furious, frustrated. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever been here, but, um, you know, I'll sit down and I'll write a very strongly worded email that I have poured all of my fury into. Have you been there? Oh, maybe, um, I've gained some wisdom over the years, or maybe I've just made a lot of mistakes that I'm trying to learn from. But, um, so many times, I'll take that email and instead of hitting send there in that moment, what I'll do is close the computer. I just wait a second, you know, wait till my heart rate lowers just a bit. Wait till that blood pressure comes down. Maybe wait to get something to eat because hanger is a real thing. Am I right? Right. Um, and I can't tell you how many times church that I will come back to what I wrote and I will think, Oh, Oh God, I am so grateful that I did not hit send on that email. Have you been there? Be angry and do not sin. In my case, be angry and do not hit send. That is a bit like what David is saying here in this text. Be angry and do not sin. Just ponder it in your own hearts. 
in your own beds and be silent. And then you, we have to, we have to pull this out again because it's here that we find another Selah. You see that? This is ponder it in your own hearts, in your own beds. Be silent. Selah. Pause. Breathe. Sit on this before you move forward. Selah. And it's from that Selah that we get verse 5 that says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. In other words, David Focus, focus our hearts, focus the hearts of the men. David focuses his own hearts back to what he can control, obedience and trust in the Lord. So so follow me here. He says, offer the right sacrifices. That's obedience. Do what God has told me to do. Do what is right in front of me and what God has given me to do. Do what is mine to do. Be obedient to God with that. And then he says, trust, put your trust in the Lord. Things in this life were out of his control. And that's saying something because church, he, he, he was king. Um, there, he is king here, but things in his life were out of control. But here's the reality. They were not out of God's control. So he says, trust, obedience and trust. Church, when things in your life get flipped upside down, when things are difficult, when things are not going the way you want them to go, obey and trust. Obedience and trust. What has God given you to do? Be obedient to that. And then trust him with everything else. In other words, obey all of the things that are in your power to do and to change. Obey all the things that God has placed in your control and trust your God with everything that is in his control. Trust in everything else. Obey and trust. For some of you, this is you and this is your action step this morning. You would obey God with the simple things that he has placed in your life and in your control and that you would take all of those other many, many other things that are out of your control, that you would take all of those things and that you would now trust him with all of those things. And from there, David says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O God, O Lord. Now, I want to pause here just for a little bit because as I read this psalm, honestly, I couldn't help but see myself and to see us as the church in this. When Paul, when, uh, Paul, when David says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? I couldn't help but see us as that many in this verse. Um, and the reason for this is because of the many, many pastoral conversations that I have had recently where I hear the same thing. I hear the heart of people asking, when will this end? When will this craziness end? When will we get some good news for a change in our news feeds? When will this chaos 
end. I mean, from sickness to pandemic to political division, racial division, violence in our schools, wildfires, opioid addictions, crime. It just goes on and on. And 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 hear me, I want to bring out one more fact here that we can't miss. That doesn't even mention the, the, the simple fact that you, that we as the church and as followers of Jesus are now completely and officially out of step with our culture. And for many of you, we together are starting to face some of the consequences of that in our jobs and in our schools and in our lives. And I have heard from so many who, as they, as you face all of that in life, you just stop and you say, God, when will this stop? When will you show us like some Good news. When will that be? I don't know if you've ever been there. But I mean, hear this cry here. This is the cry from so many today. And in that, like David, we just cry out, Lord, would you lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord? We need God. We need you to shine your face on us in all of this darkness. We need the light of Christ. And here's the thing. It's right here in that moment that we get to verse 7 that says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when all of the grain and their wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Church, there is so much here, but I want us to take this in. David says, you, God, you, put more joy in my heart than when they, all of those enemies, when they are prospering. You've put more joy in my heart, David says, in the trials and in the difficult times than when those who do not know you are in the good times. In other words, to have you, God, is the ultimate good, but to because to have you in the desert is far better than to have abundance without you. See, the greatest promise of God is not to take away all of your suffering here in this moment. The greatest promise of God is not to make you happy and healthy and wealthy here in this life. The goal, one push this one step further, the goal of prayer is not to come to your cosmic genie in the sky to grant you all the desires of your heart or what you think is best for you in this life. That is not the goal of prayer and that is not the promise of God and that is not the gospel. See, the promise of the gospel is that your God is good and that he will sustain you, that he will be with you, that he will walk with you and comfort you in and through all things, that his grace is sufficient for you, that no matter what you face, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. That church is the promise of the gospel in Christ. That is yours in Christ. And here's the thing. Take all of the grain and all of the wine and just give me that. Give me Jesus. See, the prosperity gospel tells you that God's great aim is to prosper you here in this life, to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. Church, it is a lie. It is puny. And the gospel is so much better and bigger than that. The gospel is that God loves you. He knows what is best for you, and he will walk with you in every step that you face. 
The gospel is that he will never leave you, that he is faithful, that his grace is sufficient, and his strength is made perfect in your weakness, and that nothing, church, can or will separate you from him. In other words, the gospel is good, and it is good in the good times and in the struggle times. And here, like many of us today, David is in a struggle time. And God is still good. And the joy that he has is greater than the, any feast that his enemies might be enjoying. And it's not just joy that David is calling out here. It's peace. It's shalom. Verse 8 says, in peace, I'm going to lie down and sleep. Lie down and sleep. How many know that the single most vulnerable thing you can do the thing you should never do in the presence of your enemy, the one thing that you should never do in a moment of crisis or a moment of danger, what is it? It's to lie down and sleep because when you sleep, what does it mean? It means that you stop trying to fix things. It means that you stop trying to protect yourself and defend yourself, that you let go. And that is so difficult to do in a crisis, isn't it, church? Yet... This is what is ours in Christ. And how? How could it, how could that be possible? Listen, we 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 lie down and sleep because you alone, God, God alone, make me, as David says, dwell in safety. We lie down and sleep. We, because we are safe and we are safe, not because of our circumstances, but because of our God. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This reminds me again and again that our safety and our security does not come from our circumstances or um, a lack of enemies, <laughs> But our safety comes from God himself. And this is huge. This is huge. I love this psalm because it is all about following the Lord and trusting the Lord in difficult times. And if I were to boil it all down, I believe that the most, that the, I believe that it's in the difficult times. The difficult times that we face that this psalm calls us to obey the Lord and all he's given us, all the things that are in our control, and to trust the Lord in everything, in all of those things that are out of our control, knowing they're not out of his control, so we can trust him. And when we do, in the midst of whatever storm we face, we are able to have joy, peace, and security, church, because your joy is not tied to your present circumstances. Your peace is not tied to your present circumstances. Your security, church, is not tied to your present circumstances. Our joy, our peace, and our security are in the Lord, and he holds us fast in and through every circumstance that we face. In fact, this, this psalm reminds me of a hymn that we sing often together here. And um, I want to end our time by, um, by reading it together. I know we typically sing these, this hymn, but um, there's something beautiful about just taking it in and listening to the, this, this hymn being read over us. And, and listen, I believe that this hymn and honestly this psalm, Psalm 4, 
that this is for anyone who is facing a trial right now. And I know that not everyone here is in a moment of crisis right now. I I know that. Um, But if you are here and if you are facing something difficult, please, church, would you allow the words of this psalm, Psalm 4, this truth to wash over you? Would you allow, church, the words of this hymn that I'm about to read to wash over you? And if you're here and the things in your life are, are going relatively smooth for you right now, praise the Lord for that. Um, I want to encourage you to still allow the words of this psalm to encourage your soul and to allow the words of this hymn to just encourage you as well and to reassure you that in all the things that you may face in your life, that Christ is the sure and steady anchor for you in both your life and in your death. Would you listen to the words, these words as we close? Christ, the sure and steady anchor, in the fury of the storm, when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn, in the suffering and and in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It will never be removed. Christ, the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, When temptation claims the battle and it seems that the night has won, deeper still then goes the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Christ, the sure and steady anchor, through the floods of unbelief, hopeless somehow, O my soul, now lift your eyes to Calvary. This my ballast of assurance, see his love forever proved. I will hold fast to the anchor and it will never be removed. Lastly, Christ, the sure and steady anchor, as we face the wave of death, When these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure, and the calm will be the better for the storms that we have endured. Christ, the sure of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true. We will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed.